Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we have a collection of very short stories and tales here for you today. One is called A Father's Return. It's a wonderful story that's told in many different versions in African folklore, and it reminds us that the essence of home and heart is one soul reaching for another, and it reminds us that the need of a son for his father ought to be one of the strongest ties that bind a family. And now our first story... A FATHER'S RETURN There once was a man who considered himself the happiest man alive because he had a loving wife and four healthy sons. The oldest son was named Keen Eyes because he could follow tracks through field and jungle better than anyone else in the village. The second son was known as Sharp Ears because he knew best the call of every creature in the wilderness. The third son was named Strong Arms because he never failed to win any contest of strength. The fourth son was only a baby, but his father was sure the boy would grow up to be as skilled and devoted as his brothers. One morning the family woke to discover the father had disappeared. By nightfall he had not returned, and the next morning brought no sign of his whereabouts. They talked it over and wondered where he might have gone. Perhaps he decided to go visit our uncle, said Keen Eyes, shrugging his shoulders. Or maybe he went to the festival in the next village. "'suggested Sharp Ears. "'Or he may have gone into the hills "'to enjoy the cool mountain breezes,' "'said Strong Arms. "'Their mother remained quiet "'and shook her head uncertainly. "'Another day passed, "'and then a week, "'and still their father did not return. "'Sometimes his sons wondered out loud "'where he might have gone, "'but after a while they did not talk about it any longer. "'They feared he was dead. "'But the youngest son had no such thoughts.' "'and one morning as he sat on his mother's lap, "'he opened his mouth and spoke his first words. "'Where is father? I want to see my father.' "'His older brothers gazed at him. "'That's right,' said Keen Eyes. "'Where is father?' "'Some harm may have come to him,' said Sharp Ears. "'We really should go look for him,' suggested Strong Arms. "'The three older brothers started out at once, "'following a path deep into the jungle.' "'Look, he came this way,' pointed Keen Eyes. "'I can see his tracks on the trail.' He led his brothers over hills and into valleys, through fields and woods, farther and farther from home. But at last the tracks disappeared, and even Keen Eyes lost the trail. "'We must give up,' he declared. "'Wait,' urged Sharp Ears. "'I hear someone crying out.' He led his brothers even deeper into the wilderness, farther than they'd ever ventured before, pausing every now and then to strain for the sound that only he could hear. At last they came upon a river, and beside it lay their father, holding a growling leopard at bay with his spear. "'We must save him!' yelled Strong Arms, and without waiting for his brothers, he threw himself onto the pouncing beast and crushed it in his mighty grasp. "'You came just in time!' gasped their father. "'I came into the jungle to hunt, but fell and hurt my leg. I could not make it home.' I've lived on what food I could find, but my strength was failing, and this leopard had moved in for the kill. His sons dressed his wounded leg, brought food to build his strength, and carried him home to their village. Everyone listened to the story of how keen eyes, sharp ears, and strong arms had saved their father, and everyone praised their skill and devotion. But the fame went to the brothers' heads, and they began to argue among themselves about who was the most responsible for their father's rescue. "'If it were not for me, we would never have known which way to look,' 
boasted Keen Eyes. "'I followed his trail deep into the jungle.' "'Yes, but you lost it,' reminded Sharp Ears. "'I heard him crying out, and led us to the river.' "'But what good would that have done if I would not been there?' said Strong Arms. "'I was the one who killed the leopard and saved our father from certain death.' "'They debated among themselves, and at last asked their father himself to decide who was the most responsible for his return.' He listened to their arguing, and then raised his hand for quiet. "'To all three of you, I owe my life,' he told them, "'for you each played a part in my rescue. "'But if you ask which of my sons did the most to bring me home, "'I must tell you it was not you, sharp eyes, nor you, keen ears, "'nor even you, strong arms. "'The one who truly brought me home is here.' He took his youngest son into his arms. Then everyone recalled that this was the son whose first words had been, Where is father? It was the little boy's loving heart that had brought his father home. We'll return to our second tale right after these sponsor messages. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com, and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And now, The Man, the Boy, and the Donkey, told by James Baldwin. Like performer Ricky Nelson once told us, you can't please everyone, you've got to please yourself. Once upon a time, a man and his son were going to market, and they were leading their donkey behind them. They had not gone far when they met a farmer who said, You are very foolish to walk all the way to town with that lazy donkey following behind you. What is a donkey good for, if not to ride upon? Well, I never thought of that, said the man, and I'm very willing to please you. So he put the boy on the donkey and made his poor old father walk behind. When the man heard this, he called to the boy and said, "'Stop a minute. Let us see if we cannot please these men.' Then he told the boy to get off and mounted the donkey himself. Two women next met them, and one said to the other, "'Did you ever see so lazy a man? He rides and takes his ease, while his son walks behind.' The man did not know what to do. "'My son,' he said, "'I think we should try to please everybody, but how can we please the women and the men at the same time?' After a while, he thought of a plan. He took the boy up behind him, and the donkey went jogging along with both of them on his back. When at last they came into the town, a crowd of men began to jeer and point at them. The man stopped and said, "'What is the matter, my good friends?' "'Matter enough,' said the men. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself for being so cruel to that donkey. It's too much for so small an animal to carry so heavy a load.' "'I had not thought of that,' said the man." "'It does seem hard for the donkey. 
"'but then we were only trying to please some of our friends. "'So he and his son got off and tried to think what to do next. "'They thought and thought till at last a happy idea came into their minds. "'They found a long pole and tied the donkey's feet to it. "'Then, after a great deal of hard work, they raised the pole on their shoulders. "'The donkey did not like this, but he could not help himself. "'It was as much as the man and the boy could do to carry him. "'But they stood up very straight, while all the people laughed at the funny sight.' "'I think that we're pleasing everybody now,' said the man. "'When they came to Market Bridge, "'the donkey got one of his feet loose and kicked out. "'This made the boy drop his end of the pole. "'The donkey fell on the bridge and rolled over into the river and was drowned. "'I think, my son,' said the man, "'that we may learn a lesson from all this.' "'What kind of a lesson, father?' "'Try to please everybody, and you will please nobody.' And our third tale, How the Indians Learned to Heal, as retold by Mabel Powers. When we help each other, we often learn all sorts of things about our world and ourselves. Practicing compassion brings wisdom. This Iroquois Indian tale reminds us that that's true. A long, long time ago, some Indians were running along a trail that led to an Indian settlement. As they ran, a rabbit jumped from the bushes and sat before them. The Indians stopped for the rabbit still sat up before them and did not move from the trail. They shot their arrows at him, but the arrows came back unstained with blood. A second time they drew their arrows. Now no rabbit was to be seen. Instead, an old man stood on the trail. He seemed to be weak and sick. The old man asked them for food and a place to rest. They would not listen, but went on to the settlement. Slowly the old man followed them, down the trail to the wigwam village. In front of each wigwam, he saw a skin placed on a pole. This, he knew, was the sign of the clan to which the dwellers in that wigwam belonged. First, he stopped at a wigwam where a wolfskin hung. He asked to enter, but they would not let him. They said, We want no sick men here. On he went toward another wigwam. Here a turtle shell was hanging, but this family would not let him in. He tried a wigwam where he saw a beaver skin, He was told to move on. The Indians who lived in a wigwam where a deerskin was seen were just as unkind. Nor was he permitted to enter wigwams where hung hawk, snipe, and heron skins. At last he came to a wigwam where a bear skin hung. I will ask once more for a place to rest, he thought. And here a kind old woman lived. She brought food for him to eat and spread soft skins for him to lie upon. The old man thanked her. He said that he was very sick. He told the woman what plants to gather in the wood to make him well again. This she did, and soon he was healed. A few days later the old man was again taken sick. Again he told the woman what roots and leaves to gather. She did as she was told, and soon he was well. Many times the old man fell sick. Each time he had a different sickness. Each time he told the woman what plants and herbs to find to cure him. Each time she remembered what she had been told. Soon this woman of the bear clan knew more about healing than all the other people. One day the old man told her that the great spirit had sent him to earth to teach the Indian people the secrets of healing. I came, sick and hungry, to many a wigwam door. No blanket was drawn aside for me to pass in. You alone lifted the blanket from your wigwam door and bade me enter. You are of the bear clan, Therefore all other clans shall come to the bear clan for help in sickness. 
"'You shall teach all the clans what plants and roots and leaves together, "'that the sick may be healed, "'and the bear shall be the greatest and strongest of the clans.' "'The Indian woman lifted her face to the great spirit "'to thank him for this great gift and knowledge of healing. "'When she turned again to the man, he had disappeared. "'No one was there, but a rabbit was running swiftly down the trail.' This is a story you may have heard before, called The Greatest of These is Love. It was written by the Apostle Paul. The kind of love described here is an embodiment of all the virtues, the kind of love that all husbands and wives should give to each other, and the kind both should give to their children. These verses come from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I am become as sounding brass, or a tinkling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long, and is kind. Love envieth not, Love vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they bring knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Our last story is Sacagawea by Francis T. Miller. Sacagawea, whose name means bird woman, Sacagawea helped to lead the way for Lewis and Clark on one of the greatest overland adventures in American history. And this, is her, and this is her story. It was a full hundred years ago that the tribe of Indians known to history as the Shoshones made their home a little west of the Rocky Mountains, or as the range was called by them, the Bitterroot Mountains. Here it was that Sacagawea and her little friends played their childish games, with no thought of anything outside of their own lives. It was not always playtime among the children. From infancy they were taught to labor with their hands and their education in other respects was not neglected. At a surprisingly early age, they became skilled in the use of the bow, and they were sent into the forest to gather herbs and roots for medicine and food. One day, into this peaceful valley, without warning, the powerful Minotauris, or Blackfoot tribe, swept down in battle array. Devastation followed in their wake. Many of the Shoshones were killed, and many were carried away into captivity. Among the captives was little Sacagawea, Away over the mountains she was born into the far, far east. Naturally alert and observing, the little maid absorbed every incident of this new experience, 
so that in after years, when traveling back over the same country, she was able to recognize most of the landmarks on the way. Sacagawea was sold as a slave when she reached the east. A French-Canadian named Charbonneau, who was an Indian interpreter, bought her when she was only five years old. When she was fourteen, he made her his wife, and a year later a son was born to her. It was about this time that American explorers were looking toward the great mysterious region in the far west. They believed that it was a land of great wealth, and they longed to plant the American flag on its mountains. Men called them foolhardy and said that it was a worthless jungle of forests and rocks and beasts, that it was not worth the risk of life it would take to survey it. But there were two explorers, Lewis and Clark, who were willing to undertake it. Shortly after starting on their hazardous journey, they entered the little Indian village of Mandan. There they found Charbonneau, who could talk many tongues. Their eyes fell also upon the little Indian mother, Sacagawea. Charbonneau told them that his Indian wife knew the whole country and was a natural guide. Sacagawea, in her native tongue, told them how she knew the trails, how she could take them through country never before traveled by the feet of white men, and how she could show them the beauties of the land of her birth, with its towering blue mountains capped with snow and its golden valleys, its gorges and rivers, its glittering sands, and its thousand and one beauties that have since given it the name the Garden of the Gods. "'We will go with you,' said Charbonneau and Sacagawea. And so it was when that expedition, which opened up the western domain of America, started on the most perilous portion of its journey. Sacagawea was a guide, and Charbonneau an interpreter. Sacagawea strapped her two-month-old baby on her shoulders and carried him in this snug pocket throughout the entire journey. She was the only woman in the party, and she rendered vital service to the explorers. Into the heart of the wilderness they plunged, when all signs of human life were left far behind them, and there were none to beckon them onward. Then it was that the native instinct of this woman came to their assistance. At times, sickness or starvation seemed imminent. Then Sacagawea would go into the woods, where in secret she gathered the herbs to cure each ailment, or dug roots from which she prepared savory dishes for their meals. The men marveled at the courage and ingenuity of this faithful pilot. Burdened though she was with the care of the young child, she never seemed to feel fatigue. No complaint ever escaped her lips. Patient, plucky, and determined, she was a constant source of inspiration to the explorers. The baby laughed and cooed as the wonders of the world were revealed to it. With all its mother's fearlessness, it swung calmly on her faithful back while she climbed over jagged precipices and forded swiftly running rivers. One day a little incident occurred which illustrates the true character of this woman. While making their way along one of the rivers, her husband, in a clumsy attempt to readjust things, overturned the canoe containing every article necessary for the journey. Without a moment's hesitation, Sacagawea plunged into the river, risking her own life and that of the infant strapped to her. Clothing, bundles, and many valuable documents of the expedition were thus rescued. If these things had been lost, the party would have been obliged to retrace its steps hundreds of miles in order to replace them. This is, indeed, the heroism that makes history. The alertness of Sacagawea's native instinct and her faithful kindness worked inestimable benefit to our nation. In gratitude for her great services, the explorers named after her the next river they discovered. Some months later, scenes began to take on a familiar aspect to Sacagawea, and she showed signs of elation. She pointed out old landmarks which indicated that she was nearing her old home. 
They at last pitched their camp where years before, as a little child, she had been taken captive. Here she soon found old friends, and to her unspeakable delight she discovered among them her own brother. Wrapped closely in his arms, she sobbed out all the sorrow which had been bound up in her heart for so many years. From him she learned that all of her family had died except two of her brothers and a son of her eldest sister. Sacagawea was home again. Now and then little snatches of songs of contentment reached the ears of the members of the great expedition. They might naturally have thought that now it would be not easy for the girl to attend them on their westward journey. But if they entertained this fear, they misjudged Sacagawea. She never flinched from her first intention, and cheerfully left her long-lost friends to plunge once more into the unbroken and unknown forest beyond the Rockies. The solitude was enough to shake a strong man's courage. Never a sound was to be heard except the dismal, distant howl of wild beasts and occasionally the war cry of savages. But Sacagawea did not falter. Thus they plodded overland, ever westward, until the end of the journey drew near. They made a camp inland, leaving Sacagawea in its protection, and then pushed to the coast. "'It's the Pacific!' they cried at last. In their enthusiasm, the explorers forgot the brave Sacagawea. They talked of the Pacific in the camp, but did not allow her to go to the coast until she pleaded with them to let her gaze upon the waters. Then she was satisfied. She had seen the great waters, and the fish, as she called the whale which spouted on its surface. It was an epoch-making journey, in which the path was blazed by a woman. It rivaled the great explorations of Stanley and Livingston in daring, and far exceeded them in importance. It was an expedition that moved the world along, that pushed the boundary of the United States from the Mississippi to the Pacific, that gave us the breadth of the continent from ocean to ocean, that led to the command of its rivers and harbors, the wealth of its mountains, plains, and valleys, a dominion vast enough for the ambitions of kings. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe. We'll return again next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe. And we'll be back soon.